In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The gloves come off. Weak leaders take credit when things go well. Weak leaders blame people. And I'm telling you, they blame somebody else when it doesn't. Hey, weak leaders blame everybody else for their own loss instead of themselves. Welcome to the special edition of Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, with co-host Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. We're also here with senior managing editor, Leroy Chapman. Well, in this special edition of Politically Georgia, we will recap and analyze the first gubernatorial debate of the upcoming primary election, which is May 24th. A reminder, if you're just listening to us for the first time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And guys, I want to start off with reading a quote from Republican strategist Brian Robinson, one of the best quotes in the Georgia political business. And he he said this, in the middle of the debate, I have never seen such raw hatred in a debate on the state level. It's at the same level as those paternity test shows where the mom throws a chair at a man who swears he can't be the father. So guys, Patricia, we'll start with you. Brian's basically saying that this debate had very much Jerry Springer or Mari Povich or whatever vibes. And I can't disagree. Oh, I do not disagree. In fact, I tweeted that it felt like family counseling gone awry, that it was just like months of bitter animosity and grievances and that fight about that thing that happened on the bus that one time. You know, it was just so personal. Um, And at one point, uh, David Perdue said, you know, I would be in the U.S. Senate if it weren't for you, if you hadn't caved. And Brian Kemp said, er weak leaders blame everybody but themselves for their losses. That is the same thing we've been hearing behind the scenes for months, and it has just completely spilled out into the open now in this debate. Leroy, Patricia's got a point that reeked of animosity, and this is a governor who um, had the most to lose. And let's be frank, right? He's up in the polls. He's up in fundraising. He has all the advantages, except for Donald Trump. He has all the advantages heading into the final stretch of this race. It's David Perdue who's way back. It's David Perdue that's looking for earned media attention. David Perdue that's trying to gain some traction. And it seemed like throughout this debate, David Perdue really got under Governor Kemp's skin. Yeah, you could see that. And you're right. He's he's behind. Uh, He wanted to make this a bit of a, a street fight. Uh, you know, debates are about styles, too. And uh, I'm pretty sure that when uh, the former senator came in, he really wanted to make this uh, to be aggressive. And he's this is about the base. This is about rallying uh, whatever uh, the the Trump base can bring out and also maybe uh, convincing some other folks uh, who perhaps aren't necessarily fa- uh, backing him now. 
uh, that might be toward those, part of those 73% of Republicans who uh, aren't sure that the last election result was was uh, on the up and up and fair. Uh, so he he had some ground to, to cover. But yeah, it is personal. I mean, when he starts to, when Governor Kemp starts talking about we were on the campaign bus together and they call each other liars and they're recalling conversations they had and they're, I mean, this was very personal. And, and you don't really see that often. You're only going to get that in uh, a a uh, something like this, which is historic. I mean, ha- when's the last time you had a, um, a a sitting governor challenged in this uh, regard and challenged by someone who, uh, you know, they were part of the the Republican establishment and were shoulder to shoulder, and now you know they're they're nose to nose, and so uh, yeah, very personal. Nose to nose, uh, finger point to finger point. I mean, uh, one of the things that was unique about this debate, which I really enjoyed, um, was the fact that the, the the moderator Justin Farmer let the clash happen. You know, just let let the let the two candidates go back and forth, and let's let's hear some because Governor Kemp he was playing defense a lot of this debate. And I want to promise you this tonight: if you will nominate me as your Republican nominee, I will work every single day. And so will Marty and the girls to make sure that Stacey Abrams is never your governor or your next president. And as for Senator David Perdue, his main message was pretty obvious. Let's listen. First off, folks, let me be very clear tonight. The election in 2020 was rigged and stolen. All the madness we see from the Biden administration, two million illegals, rising gas prices, unbelievable inflation, the brink of war. All that started right here in Georgia when our governor caved and allowed radical Democrats to steal our election. You know, Patricia, what's unique about all this is that you often hear Republicans blame Democrats for those things, rising inflation, rising fuel prices, um, you know, any sorts of issues that they can point out of international relations and, and the wars in Afghanistan and in the Ukraine. Um, but we have David Perdue blaming Brian Kemp for all that. Yes. And we actually also had Brian Kemp blaming David Perdue for all of that and saying, if you hadn't lost your election, there would still be a Republican Senate and we would not have Joe Biden running amok in Washington with a Democratic Senate uh, rubber stamping all of his policies. So each man is trying to blame the other. Um, A governor really does not have control over a number of the things that uh, David Perdue was blaming Governor Kemp for. But a United States Senate definitely does have the ability to curtail a Democratic president's uh, wish list, uh, judicial nominees, uh, legislative priorities. Um, and that is very accurate. Had David Perdue still been in the Senate, uh, uh, this would be a very different country right now, probably. Uh, and then this fight, however, is over whose fault exactly it is that David Perdue is not in the Senate. What Brian Kemp would rather be talking about is the next four years in Georgia and the last four years of his record. However, the fact that David Perdue managed to get him on the 2020 election for the first 25 minutes of this debate um, is a little surprising to me. I don't think that's the territory Kemp's people wanted him to be on. Um, But he, listen, this is so personal and so bitter. These are two men who will get in there and fight over whatever it is the other one wants to fight over and defend themselves and defend their own name really to the death. Yeah, Leroy, that's a great point Patricia just made because um, the governor, that's not grand governor wants to talk about. I mean, even at some point in the debate, he said, I'd rather be talking about my record. I wish we were talking about my record because he wants to talk about tax cuts and the state's budget and pay raises for teachers and not relitigate 2020. But it is probably David Perdue's most 
potent argument when he's trying to get Donald Trump supporters. And we have to say here, of course, that there was no rigged election, that um, it was a free and fair election, that no widespread voting fraud was ever found, that multiple recounts and audits and, and bipartisan election officials all confirmed Joe Biden's victory. And yet it is the go-to talking point, the go-to argument for David Perdue, as we saw for the first 25 minutes of the debate. See, yeah. So the 2020 election certainly is, um, I mean, he, he has to talk about it. I mean, that's, that's really what he's trying to, uh, to do to make sure that the base is going to show up uh, for him. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that Kemp did, uh, you know, pro- probably fairly skillfully is to go to the 2018 election and to say that uh, yeah, I've beaten Stacey Abrams. And if this is about uh, the Georgia uh, governor's seat remaining in Republican Republican hands, you know, when he's saying I've done it. And he also, as you recall a couple of times, mentioned that, you know, Senator Purdue also lost in 2020. And it was interesting how Purdue said, well, you know, I got 50,000 more votes than, than Brian Kemp did. Um, but he still lost. I mean, that's the thing. So the idea that he united the Republican Party around um, in 2020 and did and fared better than Kemp, uh, you have to 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 really not know some things about that election because uh, you know in that runoff um, he did he did underperform and, and that underperformance led to a loss and part of that had to do with the endorsement and the gentleman uh, attached to that endorsement that he's uh, using uh, as his main currency in this race. Uh, so uh, there's a lot that goes into it, but I think ultimately. Um, are voters going to care about that? And I think there's probably uh, some dissonance between what Republicans think about 2020 and also what they think about uh, their choice between Kemp and with Purdue. So if we look at where the polling has lied, even though, you know, seven out of 10 Republicans say that uh, maybe Biden's uh, win was not legitimate, uh, yet still, if you look at uh, if that's the singular message with uh, Purdue, uh, certainly his um, his support does not ne- go anywhere near matching that. Yeah, and again, you know, David Purdue um, followed a false narrative throughout the debate, talking about how he even at one point said he won the Senate contest because he outpolled John Ossoff in the first round of voting. Well, of course, in Georgia, you have to get a majority of the vote. And even though he had more votes than John Ossoff, he did not have a majority of the vote and did not win. Um, but at one point, Condes Presley, the great Condes Presley um, of WSB Radio, she asked Senator Purdue what factual evidence he had that there was voter fraud. I'm glad somebody asked that question finally, because most people in the media have already assumed the close on that. There's a court case in Georgia right now brought by a group of women. These are voters in Georgia, in Fulton County. You have evidence of fraudulent ballots, evidence of ballots that uh, were run redundantly. You have missing batches, 161 missing batches. He certified this election in Fulton County alone. They're missing 16,000 ballots. They didn't look at the signatures in Fulton County and DeKalb County, where we already talked about the nefarious activity. But the most egregious to me is the fact that there were 36 errors on the Secretary of State's website that was not even looked at. He had sent one letter to the Secretary of State about one small piece of that. Just the first two were material and might have changed the outcome of the election. But the last thing, and this is the most visible right now, since May of last year, they have seen the evidence. He and the GBI head saw the evidence of ballot trafficking, ballot harvest. This is indisputable. It's corroborated by bank records, by testimony, by uh, video, and also by cell phone data. He's not only tried to suppress that, 
He's tried to cover it up, and he fought the individuals trying to bring this to light and get the truth. Patricia, there's a lot to digest out there, but um, we can we can say, and there will be more fact checks of this in the jolt, and there'll be more information about this on AJC.com throughout the day. Um, but look, th- these are conspiracy theories. These are false claims of election fraud. Um, one of the claims he's mentioning is something that the GBI decided not to investigate because there was no evidence. And remember, we're talking about a GBI director appointed by the Republican governor of Georgia, Governor Kemp, um, not not some Democratic plant or anything like that. Um, but it goes back to something that you know me and you both covered, which was not so long ago when Donald Trump had his rally in commerce. If there was anything that was actually energizing and motivating to the crowd, it wasn't talking about Rivian. It wasn't talking about Buckhead Cityhood. It wasn't talking about crime or or taxes or any of the other go-to Republican policies. The only time I really saw the crowd really getting engaged was when it went back to 2020. And that is why, again, why why David Perdue, you know, is harping on this issue and, and will probably continue in the next two debates to keep on trying to pivot back to 2020. Yeah, that Republican uh, uh, enthusiasm for relitigating the 2020 election and insisting that the 2020 election was stolen, which is alleged only by Donald Trump. And then it's a trickle down effect from there. Um, That is the reason that the Georgia legislature passed Senate Bill 202, because all of those Republican lawmakers were hearing from their constituents. This election was stolen. This election was rigged. What are you going to do about it? We need to see you do something about it. Um, So this is an incredibly powerful, potent message at the grassroots of the GOP. So anybody who wants to get elected in this state as a Republican has got to go back to those voters and either come up with a reason why you haven't done that or else tell them what you have done in response to their insistence that the 2020 election was stolen, which it was not. And to say that it was not, we know that the FBI has looked into this. The GBI has looked into this. Donald Trump's own attorney general said that there was no basis to the allegations that uh, that Georgia was rigged and stolen against him. And there's a huge difference between accusations and evidence. And there's a huge difference in a court of law between accusations and the truth. And that's why Every judge who has heard these cases has found that the, there is not anything to these um, for a variety of different reasons, either because of the nature of the evidence, the people bringing these these allegations. So can you jump down a rabbit hole and chase every accusation? Yes, you probably could. But we have in place a multi-tiered system of local, federal, state investigators who have investigated. It is not true that that there was no investigation in Georgia. That's all there was. Hundreds of investigations and nothing has turned up. There's never been one voter who said, I sent in my vote and my vote was not counted. We have not seen that person. We have not seen that person's name on a ballot. And that was Attorney General Barr's complaint. That was Senator Lindsey Graham's complaint who said, Donald Trump, why are there no names associated with all of these allegations? Where are the votes that were stolen? Show them to me and I will talk to you more. And so um, the fact that David Perdue is basing his entire candidacy on this um, is uh, the reason I think that he's not getting more traction is because it has nothing to do with leadership or the future or telling the GOP something to go forward rather than backward. And I think that's the problem with his candidacy. And he would be doing better and raising more money and getting more votes and traction if he had more to it than that. 
And Leroy, I mean, that, that goes to the heart of, of David Perdue's challenge right now because he's behind double digit in all the polls we've seen. Um, Governor Kemp is going for the knockout blow, right? He's trying to avoid a runoff. He's trying to get above 50%. Some polls show him either at the cusp or even at that level. Um, but right now, David Perdue has basically one last chance, right? Early voting is about to start. Um, at that point, you know, it's really hard to get any sort of um, momentum um, even by spending millions of dollars on TV ads once once early voting starts, once the sort of perception of a candidate is starting to gel. And he's got a very narrow path um, to, to force Brian Kemp into a runoff right now. And I, uh, as Patricia said, he feels like that path is saying that Governor Kemp is a rhino, saying that the first lifelong Republican governor in Georgia history is not conservative enough and saying that he didn't do enough to help Donald Trump's false claims of, of election fraud, basically saying he didn't do enough to help Donald Trump reverse the election. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's a tough draw for him because ultimately, uh, Greg, you're right. I mean, we've got a governor here who, uh, if you're trying to judge him historically uh, about his uh, where he stood in terms of some of the things that conservatives really care about, uh, he's able to point to many things. And so um, as... As Purdue tries to, tries to sort of point out failures, uh, he's going to Buckhead and he's saying, well, you did not, uh, there's no vote. Why is there no vote? Uh, and again, and the governor is saying, look, I, you know, my role in that is if there is legislation that comes to me, there is a legislative process. And so oftentimes uh, what we're getting is Purdue, you know, saying these are all failures under your watch and Kemp having to say, well, that's not the case when talking about things such as. Uh, uh, crime in Atlanta, and here's uh, the the truth about the patrol and what it's done, and uh, what it's uh, e- even. I, I think he uh, pointed out uh, even some uh, some of the perspective of comparing us to North Carolina, saying, "Well, there are certain uh, folks who are in the patrol that we don't count; they do." So these numbers are, you know, being manipulated to look far worse than they are. So I think anyone watching today who is a Republican voter who is listening to the lines of attack with uh, that, uh, that Purdue who needs to bring Kemp down, uh, you know, Kemp was able to, to defend a lot of those things. And of course that also in politics is that if you, you know, contemplating defense, you're probably losing, but I don't know if that's the case with this one, because, uh, you know, those big topics to say that this guy hasn't fought for you enough. I mean, that's really at the, at the heart of it. You know, he has to convince Georgia Repub- Georgia Republicans, that a conservative governor who beats Stacey Abrams uh, is not fighting for them. And um, if you don't think that 2020 is the number one issue, then that's when it becomes a little bit complicated to make that argument with Purdue. That is a great place to go to a break. But when we get back, we will delve a little bit deeper into the back and forth. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. A celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-Hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. 
Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we are back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with co-host Patricia Murphy. We are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. We're also here with senior managing editor, Leroy Chapman. We think the Morning Jolt newsletter, which we're going to start writing right after we tape this podcast, sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics, and you can get it in your inbox every morning. If you're a subscriber to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, you can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. And your first month of the limited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on in Patricia. The jolt is going to lead with more of what we learned from this debate. One of the things I think we can both comfortably say, we can all three comfortably say that we learned from the debate is Stacey Abrams is using every clip she can to, to, to attack and to use against whoever the Republican nominee is in November. And as you mentioned, because I, I didn't see it, but as you mentioned, the first ad that ran on WSB TV was what? Uh, the first ad for WSB viewers who just watched this absolute bar brawl between uh, the two Republican nominees was a Stacey Abrams ad. And I actually did not have my volume on, it, but it is Stacey Abrams smiling with the co-founder of one of her businesses. And uh, the text alone just says, Stacey Abrams created jobs. Stacey Abrams ran a small business. And so it's a very hot there. She and her co-founder are both smiling. They're walking through very lovely office space. They're chit-chatting with each other. So it's a really different picture of an alternative choice for Georgians right now after what they've seen between the two Republicans having this extremely personal fight between each other. And then Stacey Abrams talking about uh, creating more jobs for Georgians. I'm sure it's a moment they planned um, at the Abrams campaign for quite some time and were very pleased to deliver on after a campaign like that. I mean, after a uh, debate like that. And Leroy, it was safe to assume from Abrams and really anyone else that this would be a barroom brawl, as Patricia Murphy just said, um, because this was the first time that these two Republicans saw each other in person. I mean, that they, they were next to each other um, since since this campaign started. I mean, they've been both on the campaign trail. They've been both at, at the Capitol, but never have they since 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 David Perdue got in the race, never have they been in the same space like this. So it, it was a lot of aggression they had to get out. Yeah, you know, that that's the thing. I mean, we, we've talked about what Purdue has to do. He's behind. So he has to, you know, so to use that old boxing term, you've got you've to really beat the champ. You can't uh, win on points. you got to knock him out. So this was aggressive. This was uh, akin to him coming right out at the bell, bell and just, you know, throwing haymakers. And that's sort of what he did. I mean, at the beginning, he came out very aggressive, and that set a tone. Uh, and, and so my interest is, is what happens next? Because we're going to have a new cycle. Everybody's going to talk about uh, Purdue coming out. He's being aggressive. And we've got polling that's going to come out next week. That's going to help frame some of this. But we've also got two more debates, though. And so the question is, uh, will this tactic, will he have to continue to do this? And, and will there be the return he needs on this sort of aggression. But yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously very personal between these guys. But, you know, from a tactical standpoint, uh, I don't think Purdue has many options. He has to 
uh, to, he has to be aggressive. He has to force Kemp into some sort of error if he can. And that's kind of the way to do it. It's sort of like, uh, here's another sport. It's kind of like put on full course court press in basketball, right? I mean, if you're down by 20, you got to speed the game up and you got to try to make the other team make mistakes. Well, you know, that's part of what this a tactic of sort of constant, relentless, aggressive um, attacks are. And it's, it's, it's funny too, because if you look back at uh, the 2020 election um, and President Trump sort of a- adopted the same sort of thing too, where he was really relentless and he interrupted uh, Joe Biden and he, he was relentless in his attack. And so it felt a little bit like that too, uh, that he's, he's taking on the same tone. You know, back in 2020, um, the debates that David Perdue did participate in against John Ossoff, um, Ossoff tried to get under Purdue's skin the entire time, right? Um, tried, you know, he was the underdog. He was trying to get under Purdue's skin, and he did. And he got Purdue flustered at one of the debates. It was the one in Savannah, I think, if I remember correctly. Well, now David Purdue is in that position. And I was at a campaign stop with Governor Kemp not that long ago down in Millersville, and one of the speakers praised him for being measured. And for being more, you know, balanced and and not getting upset, and I've seen the governor upset before, so I kind of ju- chuckled with him afterwards about it. Um, but for the most part, he's managed to stay pretty measured, pretty calm. Not tonight. Um, not, not tonight. It did get to him, and you know, some of his supporters say, "Hey, I'm a fighter." That showed that he's a fighter, and some of his supporters were, you know, more quietly cringing. Let's let's listen to one of those back and forths where you know, basically, the two most prominent Republicans in Georgia were shouting over each other. Well, we were riding on the bus Governor, when I was campaigning for you in the runoff. When I was campaigning for you in the runoff, did you ever decree. ask me about having a special Governor, session? Oh, of course I did. No, you, you lied did about not. it. And you no, lied about no, it. And it was even not. proven you by Greg Bluestein's own t- book. How many times was, I don't care about some reporter's book. I care about the truth. Ouch. <laughs> well, that is one part with, of many parts where they were chatting over each other. And Patricia, look, I stand by my reporting in the book Flip, but... Um, to me, that just further epitomized, uh, illustrated just how brutal this is, just how t- the, the two men just can't stand each other. Um, and as Leroy mentioned, Patricia, this is going to, we still got two more debates and, and potentially a runoff, who knows, but potentially a runoff. So they're going to, they're going to have to go toe to toe at least two more times. Oh, yes. And now I really want to watch those next two debates to see what the follow-up to this situation could possibly be. Um, But, you know, Brian Kemp has been mixing it up with David Perdue um, recently on the campaign trail when when David Perdue would sort of lob something at him, uh, particularly about the Georgia State Patrol and saying that Governor Kemp had let the Georgia State Patrol really shrink to to a kind of a shadow of a of its former elite self, um, David Perdue really got in there. And uh, he, tonight he, he many times uh, hit back at David Perdue uh, calling him a liar and saying the only thing you're telling the truth about is just that you are a liar um, and saying everything that David Perdue was saying about him, about his powers as an executive, about what he could ha- or could not have done during the election for Buckhead City, uh, for the city of Atlanta when it comes to crime, um, what he did do with the Georgia State Patrol. Um, Kemp has gotten extremely, um, somewhere between uh, defensive and aggressive. So I did expect him to really push back against Purdue here, mostly because it feels very personal. Um, But the question it leaves me with is if you sort of pan out from this scene that we saw tonight, where does this leave Republicans when they're heading toward November. Every day that passes, we're closer and closer to November and a matchup against D.C. Abrams. Does this help the Republican Party or hurt it going into um, going into this uh, battleground 
fight over um, over a state that is no longer just uh, Republicans for the taking. You know, they really have to be careful about what happens in these primary fights for the first time ever. Uh, and they have to think about going ahead um, in a general election in November. And I think a debate like this doesn't help the Republican cause in particular because it just seems very, uh, very personal uh, very aggressive and very backward looking. And they did not get into a lot of detail about what they would do as governor for the next four years. Yeah. Not for lack of trying for the, from the panelists. Yes. Um, now, Leroy, <laughs> before we end the show, I want to, you know, th- this is sort of the curse of the incumbent too, is that yes, he can, Governor Kemp can go around and sign bills and tout, um, you know, uh, budget plans and all sorts of things he's done. But at the same time, he is also attacked by David Perdue for what he didn't do or what he didn't do as aggressively. And here's a really interesting exchange between the two about that. The big thing I come back to in the city of Atlanta is Buckhead. Why would he not let the people of Buckhead determine their own future? Crime is a big reason they wanted to have that vote. And I, for one, support that. His answer to that was, oh, I'm just going to keep my powder dry on that. That's not what a leader does. You've heard him tonight, pass the buck several times. This is one he did it again. So I call on the governor tonight. Why won't you let the people of Buckhead have a vote? Governor Kemp, if well, you would address yeah, Buckhead I'll, City. Be, I'll be glad to. I have kept my powder dry. You know, I've said many times, the reason this debate's going on is because crime in Atlanta. People are sick of it, and there needed to be debate on that issue. But this is a legislative issue, too. You know, I know as much as you want me to be a dictator. Unfortunately, I'm not. I have to abide by the laws and the Constitution of this state. So, Leroy, there's David Perdue. Um, saying Kemp didn't go far enough, he didn't, he wasn't as aggressive enough, and and as we heard, Governor Kemp says, "Hey, I can't just snap my fingers and make this stuff happen. I have to work with legislators. I have to work with different people in the executive and legislative branch. There, there, there's there's actually a, a you know a, a division of labor and division of power at the state level." Yeah, I mean, this he's wanting to make the argument that Purdue has failed as a leader. So uh, his his uh, caricature certainly isn't entirely based in facts and doesn't uh, take the time to look at uh, the nuance of what it really really means to be where uh, the governor's power ends and the uh, General Assembly's power may pick up or um, where the governor sits uh, in relation to crime in the city of Atlanta and what he can and can't do. Uh, none of those things uh, are going to matter with someone who's trying to make and paint uh, the picture, the portrait of the sitting governor as being ineffective. Uh, so all that said, I mean, I guess as we look down the stretch, you know, how does Purdue pull off what he needs to pull off, which is to, you know, at this point, uh, is he going to convince uh, a very thin, probably a uh, group of undecideds? And I don't think there's a lot of undecideds to be had. Uh, so what does he do? Does he, or is he able to flip voters who, uh, you know, of course, uh, there were a lot of voters who uh, supported both these men. I mean, let's not lose sight of that. I mean, there are a lot of voters in the state who vote for voted both for Kemp and for Purdue uh, over the past four years in 18 and 20. So there's a lot of familiarity. So they have to make a choice. And and so in order to be able to paint that picture, he's, um, of course, doing what many, mo- every just about every politician has done. You know, he's making it based upon things that perhaps don't even fall within the purview 
And uh, of course, we're going to see that uh, later in the general election, too, because I, I guarantee you that Republicans will try to tie uh, Stacey Abrams to Joe Biden <laughs> in ways where, you know, she has no responsibility, but it'll be uh, trying to drag her down with the same thing. So the question is, will this work? And, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult, difficult draw for, uh, for David Perdue to actually get that, uh, to, uh, I think, to make that in a very short period of time. Uh, to to make that resonate with the people who 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 need who he needs in order to be able to win, and I, and the other thing too, I think there's a risk for him in this is that the people who are the most um, aggrieved by 2020, I'm not sure if they're going to be the folks who are circling up and and charging out to go and cast a vote. I mean, we will see because honestly, I mean, again, the, the, if you look back at the runoff. Uh, the folks who were saying that the election was rigged, you know, some of those folks uh, didn't show up to vote. Um, and will, will they this time? Uh, so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. And of course, we're going to get the answers uh, pretty, here pretty soon now that we're about a month in. But um, again, tough, tough draw for, uh, for Purdue. Yeah, we have a month to go until the primary vote. And Leroy set it up perfectly. And we will have even more news, more analysis and we'll have poll results very shortly on the AJC.com about the Republican primary votes, not just for the governor's race, but also for U.S. Senate, for lieutenant governor, and the secretary of state race. So tune in. You can count on new episodes of this podcast to come out every Wednesday and Friday and occasionally special episodes like this one. So we will see you then on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.